We have got a special treat this morning. Uh, I want to introduce you, if you haven't met him, to Matt Angel. Matt, come on up here. If you'd welcome him, yeah. So Matt is married to Tori, and they have three kids, Zach, Jacob, and Abigail. And uh, yeah, how fun. We love the Angel family. You came, you told me this in first service, I forgot, 2015? No, no, 2013. 2013? We were were still in the middle school. (laughs) We were still in the middle school, the glory days, right? Um, Yeah, so the Angel family came here in 2013. They worked with Family Life and uh, took a four-year hiatus in Uganda. Yep, yep. Just a little short short mission mission trip. trip, Yeah, Yeah, over there. Uh, Matt and Tori were working with Amazi Mom Ministries over there. I'm sure you have heard, if you've been here for a while, you've heard about that wonderful ministry. And uh, Matt's job was he was the director of staff. Now, you need to know that there were 300 staff. So that's a lot of (laughs) responsibility. Different day every day. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Different cultures and everything. That's right. So fun. Well, Matt reached out to us, uh, I guess, a year and a half ago or so and said, hey, I think we're coming back. And uh, Matt just felt like I was really leading him toward uh, pastoral ministry. And so he said, I'd love to come back. I've never pastored a church before. I'd love to just be a part of the team here, serve, kind of see all that you guys do behind the scenes, and be equipped so that I could one day step into uh, that lead pastor kind of role. So we are delighted to have you here. And uh, I, I did think... If I could say anything about Matt, I would just say he is a phenomenal servant leader. And those are the kind of leaders we want, right? Um, so we're glad that you're here. God is using you in a, in a big way and can't wait to hear you uh, take us through our passage for today. So I'm going to pray for Matt, and then he's going to get us into, back into Ephesians, all right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, so grateful for uh, all of our stories that you are writing so kindly, so generously. And uh, Lord, thank you for merging our story with the angels at this church. We're grateful for that family, grateful for all that you have been and are doing in and through them. And Lord, I thank you for Matt, his heart to serve. And uh, Lord, you have given him some beautiful leadership gifts, and uh, we get to uh, benefit from that even today. So Lord, would you bless him would you anoint him with your spirit? Would you take all of the work that he has done prior to today and would you uh, enrich our hearts, expand our faith, and uh, call us into all of the life that you have for us in Christ? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Monty. And good morning to everyone. I'm really excited about this. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And we've been back from Uganda for about eight months or so now. And this is my first opportunity to be up here in front of you and and an opportunity to preach. And back in Uganda, I did a lot of preaching. That was one of my primary roles over there. Um, And you'd think, well, you know, you you preached a bunch over there, now you're preaching over here. It's basically the same. And, And in some ways, there's similarities, but in some ways, there's some huge differences. For instance, this is the first time I've preached a message inside. (laughs) So that's a little bit different. 
Another difference is in Uganda, they love their music being so loud that it hurts your ears. That's not how we do that here. Also, we have an hour and 15-minute worship service, not like Uganda at all, where we'd start at 8 in the morning, and if we were done by 1.30, we've we've done a really good job. So it's a lot longer. And so, you know, as I'm getting ready to come up here and just praying and asking the Lord for, for, for help and guidance and, and for familiarity, you know, I, I can't do much about the building. I mean, unless I violate a bunch of building codes, we're going to be inside. And honestly, the worship or the music part of the worship service is over. So I can't ask Kevin to turn that up. But if there's one part of the worship service that I have even a little bit control over, it's the length of the worship service. (laughs) Now, in first service, I was constrained because we had a second service. (laughs) So I had to finish on time. But you don't have such a constraint. Amen. Amen, exactly right. So I'm not sure if this is small groups week, but if it is, we have till 4.30, I believe. And if it's not small groups week, we have until next Sunday. Even better. All right, to start this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask all of you to stand as we read God's word. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Let me, let me read. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right, you may be seated. Several years ago, Tori and I were at a crossroads. We had a growing family, which meant growing responsibilities. But additionally, we had some new ministry opportunities that were presented before us. And we were praying about what was the best way for our family to go. And as we looked at everything that was before us, we came to the realization in order to make those things happen, it was going to take money. Now, we tried to be good stewards with our money. Every, every month, we'd get a paycheck, and I would take some of it, and we'd put it in a retirement account for later on, and we would take a little bit more and put it in a savings account here and a savings account there. But then, as you know, life would happen, and something would come up, and so we would take money from a savings account here or take money from a savings account there. But if we looked at, when we looked at all the opportunities, we knew that we couldn't continue to operate the same way we'd been operating that we were going to have to learn how to be intentional. And so we asked around, and we were introduced to a financial planner, and we went and we met with him. And he asked us what seemed like 10,000 questions. He wanted to know what our income was, and if we ever planned on retiring, and if so, when we wanted to retire, and how many more years of work we thought we had ahead of us. We want to know if we thought our kids would go to college or if we ever wanted to buy a boat or a second house or or to live overseas, live abroad somewhere. He wanted to know about our our giving and what what we want our giving to look like in the future. And so as we worked with him, we came up for the first time with a game plan for our finances. And we set some goals. And what Tori and I realized is that we had to be intentional with our money. Because things like retirement and college and all the other things we were looking at were not going to happen by accident. Now, let me bring that illustration over to our passage today because what a picture of our spiritual walk. 
Just like reaching your financial goals takes intentionality. Just like that. And this, this is my big idea. Walking as children of light also takes intentionality. Now, probably all of us would agree with that statement. But what we struggle with is how. How do we do that? What does that look like to walk as children of light in an intentional manner? Well, here's the good thing. Because that's what our passage is going to cover today. So let's jump into this. The first point in your bulletin is this. Number one, we must carefully examine our walk. Verse 15 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It starts out with look carefully then. The word then is also the word therefore. And you know that. When we see the word therefore, it's supposed to harken back to what we have previously read or previously studied. And it's talking about look carefully then how you walk. This is actually the fifth time the word walk is being used since the beginning of chapter 4. And this usage of walk is connected to all the other usages of walk, all the previous four. But the way I want to start this morning is its connection to its most immediate context, which is the last use of the word walk, which, which Jeff covered last week in, in verse 8 of chapter 4, when it says that we are supposed to walk as children of light. So let me paraphrase sort of this first sentence to our more modern way of thinking. Basically what Paul is saying is, listen, you are children of light. You better make sure that you walk that way. And when we're talking about walk, which we've been talking about several times the last few weeks, we'll remember that Monty's described walk as our, our behavioral gait. That there is, a, uh, there is a stride or a cadence to our walk that's supposed to look a certain way. And that certain way is, is in reflection of who Jesus is, in reflection of the ways that Jesus walks. And so as children of light, we walk in that way. But the, but the fact of the matter is that we are the children of light. And let me say that again. We are children of light. One more time, and this time I want you to say it with me so I know that you get it. One, two, three, we are children of light. We're not the adults of light. We're not the masters of light. We're the children of light. And being the children of light means that we're not the ones who set the gate. We're not the ones who decide how long the stride is or what the cadence looks like. Just like the children in your own home don't dictate how you live and make the decisions for your family, likewise, we're not the ones deciding what the gate looks like. Jesus has already set that for us. And our gate should be mimicking him. It should be mirroring him. But additionally, even though we are children of light, we are not the source of the light. It doesn't come from us. The light comes from Jesus. And so our walk should be reflecting his light into the world in which we are engaging. And if we are walking as he walks and shining his light into the world, then our walk should look a certain way. Now, the problem with that is that life gets in the way. You know, I plan on getting up early in the morning each morning so that I can spend time in prayer and reading the scriptures. 
But I'm not the only one in my house who gets up early. My kids get up early as well. So I get up early, and then they're getting up early. And they're getting ready to, for school. And even though they're old enough to make their own lunches and do those sorts of things, they're not. So then I'm making their lunch, and I'm helping them with those things. And so then they finally get out the door, but now it's time for me to get ready for my own work. So I'm going through that process. And then I get in the car, and I have a commute, and then I get to work. And at work, I've got emails, and I have phone calls, and I have meetings, and I have responsibilities. And the next thing you know, it's 5 o'clock. And so I get back in the car for another commute and come all the way home. And then there's responsibilities and stuff with the kids and spending time with my wife. And there's a whole routine surrounding dinner. And then when we're done with that, the last thing I want to do is stop and examine my walk. What I want to do is I want to veg out. I want to relax. I want to watch TV. Right? I want to listen to a podcast. I don't want to engage with my walk at that point. I want to move on. And if it was that, just that, if it was just that distraction, that would be one thing. But then I also have to deal with the deceitfulness of my own sin, where I don't want to examine my walk because I'm really, really, really good at justifying my actions, justifying my own gait, of choosing to walk in a different way and being, oh, no, no, but it's okay. It's all right. right. So I'm dealing with these distractions and this deceitfulness. But what Paul wants us to do is he wants us to take a step back from all that. Take a step back from our regular routine and say, how am I doing? How's this walk going? Where have I gone astray from Jesus' walk? In what ways am I not mirroring him anymore? Or maybe on the positive side, I take a step back and say, where am I doing well? Where am I walking in step with Jesus, and how do I continue to do those same things? See, the examination of our walk is intentional. We don't accidentally walk in step with Jesus. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to observe how Jesus walks through Scripture and then follow what he is doing. And those that carefully examine their walk are not unwise, but wise. And so the question is, what does that look like? How do I know if I'm walking in a way that's wise versus walking in a way that's unwise? But the beauty is that Paul's already been unpacking all of this since the beginning of chapter 4. In verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. And then he goes on to say that we should be walking in unity and that we should be walking in humility and in gentleness and in patience and in exercising our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body because that's exactly the way that Jesus walked. Jesus walked in humility, or sorry, in unity when he said, I and the Father are one. Jesus walked in humility when he said, I didn't come to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus walked in gentleness when confronting the woman who was caught in adultery. And he said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And Jesus walked in patience in just about every interaction he had with Peter. <laughs> Jesus has a walk, and it's the walk that we need to be walking as well. Later on in chapter 4, Paul goes on to say that we should walk in holiness 
set apart from the example and the pattern that we see in the world. And then when he gets into chapter 5, he, he tells us that we should walk in love. Walking sacrificially, just as Jesus walked sacrificially. And put the needs of others before his own. Additionally, Paul instructs us on what it looks like to walk in a way that is unwise. He says in chapter 4, to no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And he gives us warnings, warnings about things like hard hearts and sensuality and sexual immorality and greed and unrighteous anger and corrupting talk and covetousness and deception. I want to urge you, encourage you, go back to chapter 4. Start in verse 1. And read, and don't just stop where we're at today. Read all the way through the end of chapter 6. Because what Paul does is he paints this vivid picture of the contrast between living wisely and living unwisely. He lays it all out there for us. And reading through these three chapters and allowing the word of God to act as a lamp and examining our walk is a sort of intentionality needed to walk as children of light. The second thing we need to do, if we're going to be intentional, is we need to redeem the time. Verse 16 says, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Galatians 1.4 tells us that we are currently living in a present evil age. From the fall in the garden, from the fall in the garden until we reach the time of the new heavens and the new earth, this is the age in which we are living. Now in Paul's time, as he's writing to the Ephesians church, they're dealing with all sorts of evil. Occult practices, the worship of the goddess Artemis for her temple was located within their city. Dealing with all the wickedness we just talked about that we said was unwise living. They had all that going on. But that's not really any different than what we're dealing with today. It's true we don't have a temple to Artemis and Murfreesboro. But we have plenty of places here that we can go to and worship false gods. We can bend the knee to things that we should not be bending our knee to. We still have to deal with occult practices. We still have to deal with things like sexual immorality and coarse talk and corruption and deception. Those things still exist today just as they did in Paul's time. And it's no surprise that that's true because as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And in 2 Corinthians 4, he calls Satan the god of this world. And so we're living in a time and an age and in a world where, where we have Satan who's basically running the show for all intents and purposes. And so we've been moving in a direction of evil for a long time. Yet in the midst of all of that reality, of all of that truth, Paul tells us to make the best use of the time. What that really means is we need to redeem the time. What is currently being used for evil, we need to purchase and use it for good. In Uganda, there's a small mountain on the north side of Lake Victoria. It was the opposite uh, of where Tori and I and our family lived when we were there. We'd be able to look out in the morning and see it. In the evening, we could look out and see this, this mountain. It was, it's a rocky mountain. 
Tons of rock. Terrible terrain if you're talking about planting things. You can't be a farmer and live on this mountain, which is not great for Ugandans since their whole economy is built on agriculture. For years and years and years, this mountain was used for witchcraft, for occult practices, up to and including child sacrifice. And the way that the mountain is positioned, it sits on this peninsula that extends into Lake Victoria. And because of that water, when storm clouds would roll in, the storm clouds would be pushed around the mountain. So for years, like 10 years, it did not rain on this mountain. And the locals considered the land cursed. And they said that it belonged to the devil. About 20 years ago, a woman, a Christian ministry, was looking for some land to start a ministry. And she was able to buy this land for cheap because no one else wanted it. And so she purchased the land and she dedicated it and she built a school there and a clinic and a retreat center for Christian leaders where Christian leaders from all over Africa come. And the mountain is now called Prayer Mountain. And as you're driving up to the gate, the entrance to get up to Prayer Mountain, there's these words written on the gate and it says, Jesus Christ is the only Lord here. You see, what she did is she redeemed the land. She took what was being used for evil and is now using it for good. This is the same thing that we need to do with the time. And redeeming the evil is talking about the ways that we're being transformed on the inside and also talking about the way that we're we're transformed in the way that we engage with the world on the outside. When Jesus was praying for his disciples in John 17, he said, as he's praying to the Father, he said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. And then he went on to say, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We have an opportunity to engage with the people around us, the spheres of influence where God has planted us. We are supposed to be there, building those relationships and reflecting that light of Christ into a dark and broken world through our unity and through holiness and through our love. Because the truth is we are a transformed people showing the world the only true path to their transformation. Now the contrast to redeeming the time is walking in the same manner in which we've always walked. It's in essence refusing to put off the old self and to put on the new self. And that's always the temptation That temptation is always hanging over us to fall back into the same patterns of behaviors and attitudes and thoughts that we had before we even knew Christ. Yet God calls us to be intentional in our striving and to implement new behaviors and attitudes that reflect Jesus. Because the truth is we are different. We're different than we, you, who we used to be. We're not the same people. We are a new creation, right? We no longer follow the pattern of this world because we've been transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we are different than we used to be, but we're also different than the world. We're not doing the same things. We're not thinking the same things. We're not for self in the way that the world is for self. We are different. 
But if we are not intentional, then we're going to choose the easiest path. If we leave it to chance or hope everything will work out in the end, we will choose the path of least, we'll choose the path of least resistance because that's our nature. And that's what we will do. We have to be intentionally focused on redeeming the time. The third thing we can do to be intentional is to let his will direct our walk. Verse 17 says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. When I was a young boy, I would get into these arguments with my mother, for she had a will for my life. And she would tell me what I needed to do, but I didn't want to do those things, so we would get in this argument. But my mother was brilliant, so she would use this reverse psychology on me, and so she'd say, fine, do whatever you want. And then I would get scared because I'd be afraid that I'm going to ruin the relationship, that I was going to do something that was going to cause her to turn her back on me. And I'd say, I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you want me to do. Sometimes I feel like that's what my prayers are like with God. I have a decision to make in my life, or I have an issue going on in my life. And I come before the Lord, and I'm like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, please show me what to do. Lord, I want your will. I need your guidance. I need your direction. I'm so afraid of messing this up. I'm so afraid of, of, of doing something wrong. Lord, will you please just show me? Just tell me anything you want me to do and I'll do it. I just need to know, show me your will. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. It's always good to pray. Can't go wrong with prayer. We should pray about everything. I'm always inspired by people who are prayer warriors. I'm inspired by people who bring everything to the Lord because you can see it in their walk. You can see it in the wisdom that they have. The issue that I had was not my prayer. The issue that I had was my tunnel vision because I could only see my problem. I could only see the, de the decision because I was so focused on that I couldn't see how those things were connected to, to the bigger picture, to God's revealed will in Scripture. I always looked at them as separate things. Now, what's worse than all that is when we don't even consider God's will at all. When we don't pray about anything. When there's decisions or there's problems and we, just like, and we figure we can handle it in our own strength. I can do it my, my own way according to my own walk. But if we're not going to be foolish, then we must understand his will. Now, when Paul wrote this letter and he sent it to the church in Ephesus, when they received that, it was read out loud to them in one sitting. A little unlike the way we typically study our Bibles, where we're reading a few verses or a paragraph or maybe a chapter at a time, and it can feel a little fragmented. But for them, they're hearing all this at once. And so when Paul, when it says, but understand the will of the Lord, they have an understanding already of what that means. Because already in chapter one, Paul's talked about the will of the Lord. And so they would get it. So if we were to turn back to chapter one right now, that we would see what the Ephesians saw, which is that they are adopted as sons according to his will. 
and they would see that they are redeemed and forgiven according to his will for the purpose to unite all things in him, in heaven and on earth. And they would see that they have obtained an inheritance according to his will to the praise of his glory. They would already know as they heard this that God has a will in salvation through their adoption and their redemption and their forgiveness and the unity in eternity, both Jews and Gentiles together as Paul unpacks in chapters 2 and in chapters 3. That there's a salvation, yes, for them as individuals, but there is, according to God's will, a salvation for both Jewish and Gentile believers as a whole. But it's not just limited to that. Because we have this wonderful parallel passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that, that beautifully parallels everything we've been reading in chapters 4 and 5 of Ephesians. So let me read this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we have told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness." This should remind us of everything that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. There's this big picture of God's ultimate will, our salvation and our sanctification. And if we understand that, if we get that, if we understand that we have been adopted, that we have been redeemed, that we have an inheritance and we are in the process right now of being sanctified, of being conformed to the image of Christ each and every day, then we can walk worthy according to the calling in which we have been called. That God has a will for us both in the present as well as in the future. And if we get that, then we can intentionally walk as children of light, making informed decisions about how we should move forward. Because the truth is that every prayer you pray, every decision you're trying to make, when you're seeking out his will and his guidance and his direction, every one of those things is already connected to his revealed will in scripture. Everything is connected to his will in your, sal in your salvation and in your sanctification. So when you're making a big job decision, it's connected. When you're making a dating decision, it's connected. When you're making a school decision or a money decision or you're dealing with issues in your life, all of that is connected to his revealed will in your sanctification and in your salvation. And knowing this will help you to be informed in all the other areas of your life. And when you get to that thing, that time where you have an issue or a decision, and you're looking at it in all the viable options in front of you. Every single one 
doesn't violate God's will, his ultimate will, his revealed will. Because we have those sometimes. Is it this job or this job? Well, both of them can play an important role in my sanctification. When you come to those decisions, you may not come out of that prayer time and say, oh, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. It's this or it's this. You may not know that. But at the very least, you'll have confidence knowing that whatever decision you make, whatever direction you end up going, you cannot and you will not remove yourself from his ultimate will in your salvation, your sanctification. You will not do that. And hopefully that will give you confidence to move forward, no longer paralyzed about making the wrong decision and ruining your relationship with the Lord. So whether we are paralyzed in decision-making or we're going it alone and deciding the direction of our lives, separated from God's will, we are missing the opportunity to be intentional about our walk as children of light. So here it is, three things. Three ways in which we can be intentional in our walk to make sure that we are matching the gate of Christ. We start by carefully examining our walk. We redeem the time and we let his will direct our walk. So what? So what do we do about that? You know, it's nice to come and we listen to a message and we fill our head with more knowledge, but we've got to move forward and do something in light of what God is telling us. And so what I want to, what I want to do this morning in our time of so what over the next few minutes is I want to focus on the first one of these. Because examining our walk is not something we do once. It's not even something we do once a year. It's something we do continually. Rarely stepping back from the busyness of life and taking a look to see how we're walking in step with Christ, or have we strayed? We find ourselves now farther away from him than we thought we were. And so let's take some time this morning and examine our walk. And it may be that you come out of a time of examination and say, you know what? I am doing pretty well. I am connected to him. My walk does look like his walk, and I have been intentional. And if that's you, then praise the Lord. How are you going to keep it up? Right? We want to seek the Lord on that. Maybe you are someone who says, you know what, I know how I should live. I know how my walk is supposed to look, but if I'm going to be completely honest, my walk looks exactly the same as it did before I knew Christ. Those old thoughts and behaviors and attitudes, those things are still true about me. And I haven't broken free from that. And maybe you need to, to start redeeming the time. Or maybe you're someone who says, you know what, my walk for the most part, Part looks pretty good, but I'll tell you, when it comes to making decisions, more often than not, I'm making decisions that are more self-serving than God-serving, not moving in my own direction from time to time. And maybe what you need to do is consider how you can allow his will to dictate your walk. But what I want to do for the next few minutes, silently, head bowed, examine your walk, consider where you are, and reach out to him.
Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that you are present, that you have spoken in your word, that you have given us your spirit to guide us into all truth, and that you give us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. So we're grateful today, uh, Lord, to have heard from you. Lord, thank you for using Matt. And uh, Father, whatever it is that you have shown us, we welcome that. Lord, I do pray that you would give us tender hearts to receive whatever it is that uh, you you really want to give us today. And Lord, I do pray that uh, whatever that is, that you would help us to, to walk in that guidance as we leave and throughout this next week. Lord, transform us, conform us to the beautiful image of your Son. Use us to accomplish your redemptive purposes. Lord, help us to see those things that we are to redeem. Thank you, Lord. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.